We've talked about the financial aspects of having children in the past, most notably on episode 86, where we talked about tax-free childcare, child benefit, and other financial tips and tricks that can help you as a parent. And on episode 113, where we heard from some finance professionals about how they manage their own family finances, and there's some amazing tax tips in there. But what about the non-financial aspects of having children as a busy working professional? When is the right time to consider having children and how is this going to impact your career? How can you balance a busy working life as a professional like a doctor or dentist or a nurse or other healthcare professional with having a family. So hopefully today's episode takes care of the non-financial aspects of having a family, which is often not talked about publicly. And this is just a really open, honest conversation between myself and Dr. Syra Asher, who's got some great points as well. We inevitably stray a bit into the financial aspects, but if you're looking for the finance aspects, head to those other episodes. But if you're looking for the non-financial aspects, I really hope that this helps you. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'd love to hear your feedback and tips and comments because I know so many of you out there are thinking about this and maybe have struggled with it. And some of you might have even come through the other side of childcare nirvana. So hopefully helpful. If you like this, don't forget to subscribe. We release new episodes every Tuesday and occasionally we do a Thursday episode if we're not on call or getting absolutely slammed in the NHS. And you might have noticed recently we haven't done a Thursday episode because we are getting absolutely slammed with the on-call rotor. But Thursdays might come back soon. But every single Tuesday, without fail, there will be a new episode. So hit subscribe. The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So it is my pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast for your second episode now, Dr. Syra Asher. Hi, thanks for having me again. I didn't make a too bad an impression the first time then. Definitely not. No, absolutely <laughs> not. And so we did one about how to prepare your finances for the strike. And as we said, you are a doctor, but you also got a bit of a special skill, a bit like Ed, which is that you're an accountant as well. Yeah, so I run a finance medic page on Instagram and do a lot of things where I share information on things how like how the pension works, things about licenses and ICES, about your credit score, for example. And then the reason we came on to this subject was because I was gonna I was asking you a lot about the messages I was getting from fellow doctors who are very early in their training, but they're thinking about family planning. And it's not really clear to them how to do that in terms of the maternity pay, shared parental leave. We shoot around from so many different employers and all these rotations that trying to develop those relationships to ask those questions to our seniors just doesn't develop. So I feel like that information gets lost. Yeah, definitely. And we thought like we could brainstorm it, bringing in a bit of your like technical knowledge. I obviously am not a mum, but I am a dad to three children now. So let's just get into it. I mean, like one question that we get a lot is, you know, what do you need to consider when you're considering starting a family. And you're right, if you're a doctor and you're in training, you're rotating around loads of different locations, you're working irregular hours, it's pretty stressful, you're working long hours. There is a lot to consider, but how have you been like, what would you say to people? From my personal experience, I feel like 
it, there's additional challenges that we have that not many other professions have. So let's take into account, first of all, the moving around. A lot of it isn't in our control. And then when we do try and control it, we end up sort of shooting ourselves in the foot and having to take a back step. We might have to change our plans entirely. So the location wise, and then if you take into account the rotor, for example, again, not much of it is in our control. You know, how many of us have actually been able to have that positive relationship with our rotor coordinators to be able to do the negotiations that we need to make it easier on us? I have two friends who are both teachers and a challenge they face, which I think is very much a problem for doctors and surgeons as well, is childcare opening. So if the childcare that you're depending on to be able to do your job isn't open when you're doing your job, then, you know, who else or how else can you deal with that? So I think... It's not just about the initial plan to have a child, but also how are you going to deal with it and deal with the child in terms of childcare, growing up. I think the hardest thing is probably that place between having the baby and the baby going to school, because that you're going to have to be around and very flexible for that. And I feel like very early on in our careers, you're much further than the people who ask me these questions. So to be able to offer them information in terms of stability is really hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, this is just touching on some of the issues, but childcare is one. I mean, I think like what I would say is, and this is from a dad's parenting point of view, is when you're in the hustle and bustle of training and pursuing your career, it never really seems like the right time. But I think... You just should not overthink it a bit. You know, having kids is amazing, but it is quite challenging and working shifts and stressful jobs and lists overrunning. And then like my one like absolute nightmare is being like, I not much stresses me out, but when I'm running a bit late for pickup from nursery or something like that, that is the most stressful thing in the world for me because I just don't want to be that parent that is late and making excuses and everyone's just judging them basically. So that's the one time where I find it really stressful when you're trying to get in on time and you're with a patient and you're just looking at your watch thinking, oh my goodness, I got to get there so, so soon. But I think you can do a few things to make it easier. And I appreciate some of these will not be available to everyone. And we're going to talk about like financial aspects in a minute. But one thing that we did is we moved closer to family. Okay, because if you can use granny daycare, you know, your parents or whatever, that is a massive advantage. And here's something where I think doctors can struggle a bit is like a lot of our friends are spread over a really wide geographical area. So if you can get in into one place with a good friend network and people in a similar situation to you, it kind of becomes like a blitz spirit, like all in it together, triumphing over adversity. And sometimes it can be like, oh, mate, I'm running late, like last patient's overrunning. Can you just grab my child from nursery and like I'll come pick them up and stuff? So if you can develop a good network locally, that helps. Definitely move towards family is always good. It's never going to be easy. There's probably never going to be a right time in your career, but I just think I basically ignored the career and just did it when was the right time for us, basically. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? I really like a lot of what you've said, and especially about the whole, a lot of people, a lot of these women in surgery, for example, conferences, they go like, oh, you can have your cake and eat it and you can do both. But whenever I've listened to these women speaking, they always talk about the sacrifice that they made in terms of being present. And what you said about, I just ignored my career and I focused on what was right for me. I really like that. And I think more and more people should feel more comfortable 
doing that. So in terms of our plans, for example, my other half actually wanted to do pediatrics and he did a, he's doing a pediatric surgery rotation as we speak. And he's sort of seen himself that he's just, it's never going to get, his rotor is never going to get to the stage where he thinks it's going to be a good work-life balance for him. So he's actually changed his mind and he's decided to pursue GP instead because he'd be able to do things like reassure families. He'd be able to do some pediatrics, but at the same time, he wouldn't be tied down into that hospital rotor. So again, that's him choosing family and choosing life over his sort of what he exactly wanted to do. Yeah. And I think maybe the most difficult time is when you're in training, because if you're a consultant or a staff grade or you're in one location, I think one of the biggest challenges is constantly rotating location and long commutes. But having kids basically changed my career because it made me realize what I did and didn't want, because we're having our first baby and it was like the, you know, the ultrasound scan. And I was like, oh, I got the scan today, like, or you know, we had the scan like two or three weeks in advance. So it's like, you know, I need the day off. And the rotor coordinator was like, no, nah, sorry. And I was like, hold on, like <laughs> having the scan of my firstborn child and you're saying I can't have the, like, I can't do a swap. And it was just like, that started to really annoy me. And then when I got to paternity leave, they were like, yeah, so you got to book your paternity leave. I was like, it's a natural delivery. So it's like hard to book. And they were like, no, we need to schedule it in now. Like, and I was like, well, I'm going to like miss, I could like, if I get it wrong, I'm going to miss either end. And so that just started to make me realize that I never wanted a hospital rotor coordinator to be running my life. And that was like a bit of a light bulb moment where I was like, right, I need to get out of here. Not just because of children, because it just kind of made me realize the treadmill that I'd been on and I wanted to get off, like what a ridiculous situation that I needed to not go to the scan. I mean, what? So yeah, it was a bit of a, having kids changed my life, mostly for the better. And that was, it definitely changed my career because I just thought, and then somebody's probably sat there saying, well, I'm a consultant or I'm a staff grade and I don't have that problem. Yeah, I don't know. I see it quite a lot that it's still a problem. And it's always like jam tomorrow in medicine, isn't it? It's like go to med school, be super hard, but then you'll be an F1. F1 super hard, but then you'll be an F2. It's like jam tomorrow. Like where is the jam? I couldn't see any jam. So I got out of there. Let's talk about, <laughs> I mean, it's Medics Money podcast. We've talked about the fluffy stuff for at least nine minutes. Let's get into the hardcore financials, tax efficient ways of raising a family because kids are incredibly expensive and there's a lot of help available. And probably if you're a doctor, you think, oh, I'm probably not eligible for a state benefit. You know, you might think that doesn't apply to you, but as we're about to find out, it definitely does and is definitely worth pursuing. And there's quite a few intricacies that we need to think about. Yes. Also, thank you so much for saying it like it is beautiful. So a few things I was thinking about was there's the tax-free childcare that we'll go over. There is the tax credits, which, you know, at my stage, at the F2 stage, might still actually be applicable, probably not later. In terms of people who are not in the NHS or not in the NHS at the time, so for example, they're locoming, they can actually give their personal allowance to their partner so that they and tax-efficient the partner's income. So that was another one I was thinking about. And also this is a bit of a, a cheeky one, but shopping down the baby aisle because all of that stuff's either VAT reduced or VAT free. So just actually like if you're getting normal toiletries, just get it down there. 
I love that. That's like VAT tax trivia. So like Ed's favorite one is about Jaffa cakes. Tax efficient because no VAT. But uh, you're right, like no VAT. So yeah, get down the baby. Oh, okay. I do tax efficient shoes because I actually have the same shoe size as a child. So I actually can and do buy children's shoes and get them cheaper. Amazing, because there's no VAT. (laughs) No VAT, exactly. Same for kids' sun cream, I think, as well. Yeah, so you've got like child benefit and, you know, that starts to taper off from 50 to 60,000 I believe yeah and we're not anywhere near that at f1 f2 stage so that definitely would apply and then if you think about it if you are planning to go less than full-time or already are less than full-time then again you can definitely qualify for that yeah yeah and so that's worth looking into and then it starts to taper off between 50 and 60,000 you definitely need to keep an eye on that if you are in that range because at that point you'd need to file self-assessment to let HMRC know and it tapers off it's not a cliff edge unlike tax-free childcare, which again is probably not a problem for many people but once you go over a hundred thousand of adjusted net income you lose your entitlement to tax-free childcare just instantly so we've got tons of podcasts on this and all the technical details which I don't know do we want to go into that today it's completely up to you I think it would be more applicable to sort of the people who are asking me these questions because they're very early on in their career they're not near that 100k mark so they definitely need that help in terms of traversing that tax-free childcare so if you're Happy to oblige. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like also the most tax efficient form of childcare that I kind of alluded to is granny childcare. It's amazing. And so important to move close to that network. But I think, yeah, we've done loads on that. I'll put the links to the specific episodes in the show notes. We've actually done a whole series on family finances, but it might be like two years ago now. So I think it was around episode 85 or something. I'll put the links in there because I mean, like, I've told you how kids affected my career in a very positive way, in my opinion. And I'd also say a lot of my friends are, you know, surgeons and two doctor couples and they manage absolutely fine. So maybe it's just me that got a bit panicked by a rotor coordinator dominating my life and preventing me from seeing an ultrasound of my firstborn child. But what do you think is impacting on your like career plans and stuff? We're both medics and we're both medics at the same level. So I have friends who one of them is an F2 now and the other one is basically CCTing. Her husband is CCTing. So it's a little bit different for them because they've still got that stability that comes with him CCTing. You know, that in terms of their shared paternity leave, he would attract a much better pay than she would, for example. They can support each other in terms of financially and otherwise because of that difference. Whereas if you're me and my partner, we're both F2s. So we have those same challenges at the exact same time. We have the moving around, we have the mercy of the rotor coordinator, we have the applying for specialty training, the bottlenecks, all of those challenges are impacting us simultaneously. And I find that actually that is probably the most difficult part for us. So I was surgically inclined and I had, since before medical school, I just I was going for it. I wanted to do surgery. My portfolio is really good. And then having actually been in the environment for two different surgical blocks, so eight months in total, I kind of realized there's just stuff I'm not willing to do. I'm just not willing to give up certain things. And like a lot of it was what you said about having to constantly ask permission for very personal things and being just told flat out no, no flexibility, no rigidity, but that's only one-sided. Whereas we had to be extremely flexible and extremely giving at all times. And I just couldn't 
do that. I needed to be in an environment where I'd be supported and I'd feel psychologically safe too. And I don't get that at the moment. Yeah. And hopefully there's some female surgeons screaming at their podcast player right now saying, no, like it is possible. So what I'm just going to say is like, this is such a personal decision. We're talking about our personal opinion and take on it. And absolutely is completely possible to be a female surgeon and have children. Absolutely. But I think there are, it is really hard and there are like challenges in the system that even as a man, I notice like, you know, sometimes the MDT starts at like eight o'clock or someone says, oh, let's schedule a meeting for five o'clock after the day. And it's just like, no, I've got to pick up the kids. Like <laughs> whoever schedules that meeting either doesn't have kids or doesn't have the responsibility of picking them up. And I just think there's lots of systemic things, which even as a man, I am aware of. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that you've become aware of as well. I don't know what we can really do about that. So a really interesting message I got was actually from a male colleague who was saying that they want to do shared paternity leave. So they were just asking about how that works or shared parental leave. And then he said that his bosses have basically said if he does that, he would be shooting his career. That's it. He would be taking a massive hit and he wouldn't be able to show his face enough and his colleagues wouldn't think he was serious and they wouldn't think that he really wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I felt really sad to hear that. And I don't, I didn't pry. I didn't know whether this was something that, you know, had been actually, was something he was facing outwardly or it was an internalized feeling. But it was really sad to hear that that's the kind of things that my male colleagues are having to deal with when it's already a really challenging and difficult time for them and their partner. Yeah, wow. I mean, those kind of attitudes are just like straight out of the 1960s or 50s. I mean, that's disappointing to hear, but obviously it is still out there as well. And I guess like for me, what swung the balance is just like I didn't really want to be a part of a club where people thought that was okay. And I do think it has changed. I certainly haven't come across apart from the example where maybe it was a rogue rotor coordinator that changed my career for the better. So thanks, rotor coordinator, for not sorting me out with reasonable requests for leave around the birth of my child but yeah I think attitudes have shifted definitely and it is possible I mean what do you think about like you know we spend all that time at med school and you know all that time our fertility is slowly but surely declining our asterisk mine not yours okay you can still go in your 70s if you wanted to um (laughs) I'm done by the way I'm done three kids I'm done so let's just get out there but yeah it's something like that I see discussed a lot because it it doesn't the sweet spots of fertility, finances, career, and they're not going to align. But is it something that we need to think about, and what do we do about it? Oh, absolutely. This is like really I like where we've gone with this because one of the things that a lot of women want to delay having children, and that is completely within their rights. But and there are options like egg freezing that we can do. However, the procedure itself is terrible and not very comfortable and then also you're only allowed to freeze your eggs in a private place for 10 years at the moment the rules are that if it's not because you've got cancer or because you've had to have your eggs frozen for a medical reason and it's because it's of your choice you're only allowed to freeze your eggs for 10 years so you also you have better luck if you freeze them as an embryo and then if we then scale that back to in terms of the best fertility windows when In my undergraduate, my dissertation was actually on the fertility and egg quality as we age. 
And so the best egg quality is between the ages of 18 and 29, so 28, 29. And then pretty much as soon as you hit 30, it starts to sort of go down a little bit. And then as soon as you hit 35, it really drops off a cliff. And your likelihood of having miscarriages, trisomy births, having non-viable stillbirths just goes up quite dramatically after those timescales. But say you're 18, you went to medical school, you might not have found the person you want to have your baby with, but you're trying to like freeze an embryo. Not to mention the cost as well. How are you going to pay for having your eggs frozen at that early stage. And then if you can only have it for 10 years, so if you say you decide at 30 that you're going to have your eggs frozen, you have only until you're 40 to decide if you want to have that baby or not. Now, lots of people will have their own opinion of how late a mother should carry their child. But again, that does factor into what you're doing. So I feel like based on our current social, what we want as women, doesn't match up with our fertility windows. And there isn't really enough out there to help us with choice at the moment. Yeah. And I think like maybe part of the reason why I struggled is because I was quite junior in terms of my stage as a doctor when we had our first child, but I was a bit older. So I was just like at a slightly different stage in life to everybody else. And I think that's why when the, why the rotor coordinator was just so outraged, because it was just like, you're not following the plan. Like you're at the wrong stage. Like normally F2s don't do this. So no, you can't do it. It definitely factors into the culture because that everybody assumes that they're like 20 23, 24, and are fresh, you know, really young. But actually, more and more of us are coming into medicine at later life stages. And we're not really presented with the choice that a lot of people in other careers at the same age are. Yeah, definitely. I just felt like I was a bit out of line. And that was maybe part of what caused the problem. But there's plenty of us that are out of line for all different kind of reasons. So I mean, like, as a woman working in the NHS, do you feel as an organization, it's kind of supportive or not and why? That's really tough. Could you be a bit more specific about in what context, just generally working as a woman in the NHS or in terms of the sort of family planning side of things? Yeah, I guess it's like if you turned up tomorrow at work and said, I'm pregnant, do you like, do you feel like it would be supportive? Do you feel like your colleagues would be like, awesome? Or would it be like your friend that you just quoted where they were like, oh, this is like the end of your career, I think is what you sort of quoted. And is it like widely known the support mechanisms that are out there and things like that? Do you think like the NHS encourages women or anyone really? Is it a family friendly situation? I actually think in terms of the culture, it has gotten better. And you know, we have these less than we can apply to work less than full time which is really nice we can do that even without having any children which I think is also a move in the right direction I do think sometimes conversations around this can be quite insensitive and I have on multiple occasions been present where consultants have been discussing a colleague's pregnancy and the colleague hasn't actually even announced that they're pregnant yet so this was clearly a private conversation this has happened twice now. And it was a private conversation between that person, but they were having it right in the middle of the shop floor. And so like, in terms of that kind of sensitivity, I still think there's some work to be done. I've not heard anything negative of, you know, people either going on maternity or coming back from maternity. You know, you, women, it's usually been celebrated or, you know, this is going to be great. The only difference is I did work in a lovely office. So before I was with the same people for about five years and we all knew each other really well so their their sort of send-off was really nice you know everybody gave like 
loads of lovely gifts for the baby and there was like we did a little afternoon tea thing and that was all done by work it was really nice whereas that's not something you'd really see in the NHS because no one really knows you that well and you move around that much and you rotate that much that unless you're much more senior which when we're saying we're junior here that really wouldn't happen so I feel like it would almost make you feel like it wasn't okay even though that's not really the case but that ambivalence might make you feel like it's not really something people are supporting when that's not really the case I hope that made yeah 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 I think that's interesting it's basically like a mirror for the challenges of anyone working in the NHS, particularly trainees. So like you say, you don't tend to know that many people because we used to work in firms where you'd have the same consultant, you know, for three, four, six months sometimes, and you really like were a team. I think that's sort of been dissolved now because the rotors are more geared towards service provision, in my opinion. And the other thing is, you know, it's when a system is on the limit, that's where people get ratty or do unreasonable things and that doesn't excuse it but I think you know the work is so busy and so on the limit I can understand why me making a reasonable request to the rotor coordinator probably put them in a spin because they were like I have no one else to cover what am I going to do I know I'm just going to tell him he can't do it so I think it's kind of like a mimic for the underlying problems that the NHS has but yeah I think it's you know I'd say there are less than full-time things and stuff like that I mean what about going back to work after maternity or paternity leave what do you think about that so there are staying in touch days that you do which I think are really nice again this is back to that culture again where we don't have the ferns so like when you stay in touch you what do you do you just turn up on the shop floor and you'll have a completely new set of colleagues and no one will know you and you do what exactly that's kind of where I feel like a little bit it's so funny that we're talking about this because it's like saying that it's the staying in touch days are there which is great but what are they really doing because of the mechanism by which we move through our rotations we're not coming back to the same team we left so how is that staying in touch day actually helping us is it for technical skills if so then would that work differently or should that work differently it it's really interesting that because i thought when outside of the nhs staying in touch days are Basically, you come back and see your colleagues that you've not seen in a few months. They get to see the baby. You get to kind of get your head round being back in the office again, and they don't forget you. That's the purpose of these. What is the purpose of these in the NHS is sometimes what I wonder as well. Yeah. I mean, I'd be interested to hear from anyone that's come back to like a surgical specialty because... I kind of feel like I do some minor surgery and if I don't do any for a while, I do feel like, you know, so it's, it's about practicing. It's a, you know, it's a muscle movement. It's repetitive movement. It's something that I find that you need to practice on. And sometimes I look at people coming back. I just think, wow, you've just been slung back into that at the deep end. And I know how I feel after a short break of from doing a technical thing like that. I think with knowledge-based things, I don't find that ebbs away as much as fast, but certainly technical, you know, hand-eye coordination and stuff like that I do feel so I don't know I'd be interested to hear from what do the audience think definitely just let us know if you're watching on YouTube chuck in the comments because I know there's going to be like inspirational people that have done you know all of this and more and coped with it all so it's definitely possible but hopefully this has helped a few people and also talk about it in a very public forum it's not often not talked about in public but hopefully it helps you I mean what's our sort of take-homes here in terms of what would you say to your colleagues at your sort of stage or my sort of stage? I think what we garnered from this is that it will always feel like it's not the right time. It won't feel like 
you know there's a perfect time but you just do what works for you that the career isn't everything the treadmill isn't everything and you know you and your family matter the most and so if that means having to move to be closer to family to help you or creating a new family with a network of friends who would be able to help you then those are kind of a nice area to focus on rather than how to optimize fitting this baby into your career yeah definitely and I think like there's lots of role models out there I know there's so many people that have as I said balanced the career and the family and they balance it amazingly well and it's I know I personally would never have done this but I'm going to recommend everyone to do it just go up to them and just say look you seem to be balancing it really well got any tips and what you'll probably find is that it's like the swan on top calm underneath absolute mayhem like I have this with three children it's always something going on it's always a challenge it might look like a swan to some people but underwater there's lots going on but it's great you know having children was amazing for me it changed my career for the better so I think just maybe just try and reach out to any role models that you admire but it is a pretty baller move to do that I'm quite shy so I probably would have never in fact I never did do that but I'm advising everyone else to do it you know do as I say not as I do there was an article a little while back in one of the Royal College of Surgeons publications and it was from the chair of the Women in Surgery Network and she actually ended up quitting surgery about three times because of issues with not being able to marry up the career with having children but she stuck at it And, you know, each and every time she did what was right for her, even if that meant walking away briefly and then came back to it when she was ready. And I really admire that. And I thought that was such a a bold move to put that in there because the whole rhetoric is around you need to just get through it. You need to, you know, the career comes first. But actually, this wasn't the case. It was make it work for you and you can still do it. And I really like that. Definitely, that is a great message to end on. I love it. Brilliant, thanks so much, Syra, for your time again today. I hope to see you again on the podcast soon. Absolutely, thank you. Take care.